Okay, back here with uh, my buddy Mike Gordon. How you doing, Mike? Pretty good, thanks. It's been a while, but uh, I want to talk about your uh, newer book. It's been out for a little bit, Dag Nabbit. But uh, for the folks that have listened to the podcast, uh, your, a couple of years ago, you wrote The Learning the Ropes, and we did several podcasts about that, was, which was more about kind of your life and, you know, founding Chilkoot Charlies and, and you know, getting into kind of the outdoors and hiking and, and mountain climbing and doing all these big summits all over the the continents, but this this new book, uh, Dag Nabbit, is a little different. It's more kind of short stories. There's some stories about you and coots and different things. But um, I guess we'll start with uh, this guy, Reuben Gaines, was was your buddy back then. That was kind of he talked about him in the beginning, and he's kind of a bit of a theme. So tell me a little bit about you know the second book, the D- Dag Nabbit, and then who was this Reuben Gaines guy? Well, Dag Nabbit was a um, a word that. Ruben used a lot, and also one of his characters um, on the radio program that he had conversation unlimited. Is there? Some, I can I can't hear anything. My it feels like oh. I'm in a vacuum or something. Is that better? That's a lot better. Sorry, I turned I turned your volume. Your yeah. speaker volume was uh, down. Yeah. Okay. Headphone volume. How's that? That's much better. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, Get a little closer to the mic too. Okay. Ruben was a, a towering figure. Um, he was a, a raconteur, a poet, a cartoonist. Um, as far as a radio personality went, he was um, without without um, stretching it. I'd say he was perhaps the, the most talented radio man in the country at that time, and we had the benefit of him being in Alaska. And he entertained Alaskans from the early 40s, beginning in Ketchikan, on up through Fairbanks, and then finally settling in Anchorage for 45 or 50 years. Uh, he literally entertained the entire state of Alaska over the radio. And he made the transition to television, uh, where he employed his cartoons when he would uh, announce the weather report. He was the guy that created Choku Charlie, the legendary character, and this is the bar that you, that's still, that's still there, but the bar that you opened. Well, he created the actual character, the literary character, Choku Charlie. Uh, Choku Charlie was a titanic um, sourdough reprobate. Um, his sidekick, uh, Nemesis, was six-toed Mordecai. There are a number of stories that have been published and also recorded by Reuben about Choku Charlie and his exploits. And... Uh, Reuben was a, I mean, Chilkoot was a, a this titan figure. He was kind of like an Alaskan um, Paul Bunyan, except that he wasn't a logger. He was a, a sourdough and a, and a reprobate. And uh, Reuben gave me permission to use the name Chilkoot Charlie in the bar and restaurant business in 1969. Now you had some kind of, didn't you have a deal with him, some kind of money or kind of like contract <clears throat> or something? Well, he, Reuben had books for sale and he had cartoons for sale. He used to sell uh, cartoons not only that were uh, framed that you could put on the wall, but he also sold cartoons that were painted on uh, birch fungi Uh uh, that you could put on a countertop. And uh, For him giving me permission to use the name in the bar and restaurant business, he was allowed to sell his records and his books and his cartoons in the club. 
And uh, as it turns out, he didn't sell very many of those things in the club. You know, that, that isn't why people went to Chilco Charlie's. <laughs> <laughs> so after a, a period of time, maybe, I don't know, almost 15 years, uh, the bar had done well, very well. Um, Ruben wasn't doing so well, so I took him to lunch again and uh, gave him a, a pension for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's great. It's, and you said in the book he was kind of a, a father figure to you. He was a little older, and, and your your dad passed away. I think. He was, yeah. He he was uh, he was about the same age as my dad. He was a mentor to me, and uh, I guess you'd have to say sort of a surrogate dad. And he was my inspiration. Uh, I doubt that I would be writing stories today if it weren't for my relationship with Ruben. In fact, when I'm writing, I can sometimes hear Ruben in my head. Mm-hmm. So when you did you did first learning the ropes, and then this is a second book, was this kind of, I think we talked about the first book, you had already said you were thinking about doing something else. Was this that, was this that second book you were already thinking about? And I guess why did you... Um, was Ruben the main inspiration for this? And then, and then were you doing learning the ropes? And I think you told me you were, there were so many more stories you had that you couldn't really fit in that book. Yeah. Um, the focus of my writing for a number of years and the reason why I went back to, to, uh, college at APU and got my master's degree in writing was to finish my memoir, learning the ropes. Uh, but during that whole period of time, you know, talking maybe a dozen years overall. I did a lot of other writing. I did a lot of, wrote a lot of other stories that uh, because of the requirements of the memoir uh, to keep it succinct and stick to the storyline, there just wasn't, there wasn't room for all these other stories. And so <coughs> I uh, had plenty of material for another book and uh, decided that what I would do would be to combine those stories with stories of Reuben and try to uh, resurrect Reuben at the same time. A lot of people don't, most people don't know who Reuben is today. I, mean, I hadn't heard of him until, I mean, I've, I moved here in 04, so this is way before my time. Well, he, was a, he was a towering figure. He, everybody knew who Reuben was back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Everybody. This program that he had, Conversation Unlimited, was at drive time every day during the week on KJR and you know, it was uh, just an astounding 15 minutes of radio time. Everybody set everything aside at that time of the day and listened to Ruben's mm-hmm. uh, broadcast. It was so riveting. And it was all it was all character stuff, or it was was it just other? It, w- it was everything. It covered the, the like whole... was it politics at all, or was it commentary on? Not so much politics. He didn't get too much into politics, but. Um, you know, it was just riveting Alaskana stories. I mean, he, he would open up a dictionary and just start <laughs> picking out words and talking huh. about them. I mean, in, in the, the the inflection, the timing, everything was absolutely perfect. And he had several personas on the radio also. One of them was, my favorite was Pops. Pops was this crusty old sourdough, and he used Dag Nabbit a lot. Uh, in his conversation, and he would he would interrupt Reuben and criticize him, make fun of him, and uh, he used that word a lot, Dagnabbit, and that's where it came up with the with the title of the book. Yeah, the thing I like about this book is is uh, you can read it and read a few. It's kind of discon- a lot of it's disconnected. So there's a story, maybe three or four or five or six pages, 
about something like uh, one of my favorite ones was the Hog Brothers. We can talk about in a second. But then there's other kind of one-offs. There may be a page or two, but but you can read the book. Sometimes you like a reading a big book, and you kind of you know if you put it down for a little bit, you might have to like oh what you know you have to go back and kind of what did I read before? But with this, it's it's like a little bit of a collection of short stories that are that are somewhat sometimes connected, but not super connected. Sometimes they're very you know just very, very different. Yeah, um, it's something that you could read in the in the bathroom on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's where maybe that's maybe that's the selling point. So the the one that I there's a lot of those stories we talked about, but the the Hog Brothers was stuck out for me because I moved here in '04, and Hog Brothers was still open, and I think it closed a couple of years, two or three years after I moved here. But I used to, and in the book you talk about people would go there, uh, and these guys you knew they moved up here, and we'll talk about you can tell me who they who they, who they were, and they had some, they had was it like an appliance or something, the Hog Brothers name. But I used to go there. And you talk about the hangover. It's like the hangover spot, which was totally true. But also, just it was just if you wake up early, the food was so good. And and as you were noting the book, it was not that expensive. No, it was no. like it was you know. It's, and the folks listening who don't know, it's it's where the Spinard Roadhouse is right now. But it used to be you know there. No, for, no, it isn't. It is. It wasn't. It was between Chuku Charlie's and the Friendly Fireside Lounge. But it wasn't it over there for a while. Hog Brothers on the road. Well, that was the old, that was the new Hog Brothers. When David White sold the business, he sold it to um, the gal that owned the Friendly Fireside Lounge when I bought that and the Hog Brothers and added it onto Choco Charles. Oh, okay, so it was... And then she moved it over to uh, Northern Lights to, uh, and it became the, Ro- the Spinard Road, where the Spinard Roadhouse is now, but it was still the Hog Brothers, but it didn't have the atmosphere that had. Oh, okay, that, that, that's, where, that's what I knew. That's the one I went to. So, so this was a different, this was. Oh, way different. Hold, okay, I didn't, this way is way different. before, this must have been, when, when did that clo- well, close I, down? You know, I, the, the dates are hard to come by at the moment, but um, I would guess that um, David left the Hog Brothers in the mid-90s and moved back to Kentucky. And, um and sold out, and she moved over to uh, Northern Lights, and and the place was never the same. It was almost like eating in a cafeteria. It didn't have any atmosphere. It didn't have uh, Leonard Skinner blasting out of the speakers. Yeah, you say in the book that, that you might have some lawyers in suits, you know, hung over partying next to some pipeline workers or yeah, some roughnecks. Yeah, all intermingled together there, you know, eating omelets and uh, trying to get over their hangovers and taking sidewise glances at the profile of the waitress. Oh, yeah. You, Angie. Well, Angie, she said she wore, like, revealing kind of good. Tip jar was always full. She was hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like that description in the book, the, the tip, you know, all the other, everybody was was jealous of her. Well, her, well everybody that lived on tips was jealous yeah. of her, that's for sure. So so um, you say the other thing is, like, you you know, you'd, it'd be a coot, so there'd be problem customers, and they'd get kicked out, but then you'd see them, over here, and it was like a like a neutral zone, or it was like a, you know, kind of hey, this is like yeah. neutral it, territory. It was a neutral zone. Um, now I don't know if that would have held up if they were open at night, but they got smart and they they, they didn't operate at night. Oh, I think you said they, tr- they 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 tried they, they tried the, that, but it didn't. They focused on the breakfast business. It was <laughs> <laughs> a little more civil atmosphere. So who were these guys that moved? Up, these guys you describe in the book? This, this. Well, it was David White principally. Uh, he'd been um, going to a, a community college in California, and he had a group of buddies there that uh, 
we lived in an apartment together, and they had a refrigerator with Hog Brothers on the front of it, and <clears throat> that was the nickname of their group. And and it was principally David White that came up. I don't know who else came up with him, but the only person he knew in Alaska uh, was a guy by the name of Mike. His last name eludes me at the moment, but they ended up being partners. I, I, I loaned them five hundred bucks from Choku Charlie's to to open up, and and, uh, and then there was somebody else that was leaving, and they wanted. They were going, yeah. The, who who had been there before was moving up to Fairbanks, and the guy said, "All you need to do is just bring in your food, and take over the place." And so that's what David did, and he and Mike would come over to Choku Charlie's when it was just the the little one hundred by one, 100 by 25 foot bar <clears throat> with the peanut shells on the floor. And they would gamble about the place with pig's noses going oink, oink, oink and giving away free hors d'oeuvres. So that's how they attracted people to their business. There was another, another story too about some some deal you bought. It was some state fair. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking weird. Uh, I think I've seen that actually at Coots when, when I was reading Two, that. Two-headed pig. Yeah. There was some, like, some booth and you pay a dollar and you go see a two-headed pig or yeah but but then it was actually it was like, actually in there too but it was it was in formaldehyde and that, that ended up at coots right yeah and I, I remember when i read that i remember seeing i had seen that before a long time ago as far as i know it's still on the back bar at coots so when you were doing so you know when you're writing this stuff a lot of these stories are decades ago um do you just have Memories, I mean, did, were you writing about it back then, or do you just have the good memories? And when, when you're writing about a story like that, do you have to kind of piece it back together, or do you just kind of have, have that memory and be, recall, recall these stories? Well, it all depends. Some of it I remember in detail. A lot of it I don't remember at all. My wife helps me out a little bit. She's got a great memory. Um, and she's, she's written, about, written about a lot in the first book. Yeah. yeah. She's mentioned it here, too, but in the first book, that's yeah, kind of a theme. She's... Uh, She's the main character in the first book, aside from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the first book is essentially a love story. Great book. Yeah, thank you. This one's this one's different, good, good too. But I just uh, I, I got to say that I tell everybody I meet to read that book. It's I probably sold, I don't know, maybe twenty of them for you. I don't, not, not that many, <laughs> but you know, well, it's an Alaska bestseller. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I know a lot of people that have read it, and um, and and this one, I know with this one too, you're doing um. Costco sometimes, or you're you're out there uh, pitching it, so I know folks are aware of it. Yeah, and then you too. You know, I think if folks are listening, you 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 actually ran for the legislature. Um, was that in fourteen or six, sixteen? So sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm glad I lost. <laughs> oh, you have no. Yeah, trust me, you do not want to. <laughs> and actually, the one you ran against, Harriet Drummond. Now she got paired up. She's with uh, Zach Fields. Mm-hmm. They're paired up with this redistricting. So, um, but. I hope she loses. Uh, I have a feeling. Do you follow the legend, Zach Fields guy? He's kind of real. No, but you know Harriet Drummond went negative on me. She was just a nasty little thing. Yeah, it was weird too because I remember that because because that was a you ran as a Republican, but that was a it's a very that it, district that's changed now, but super kind of Democratic. So it wasn't like yeah, you know, if if I had it to do over again, which I would never do, I would run as an independent. Independent, yeah. yeah. Well, especially now with this new, I mean, we'll see how, how this thing goes, this new system, but I mean, are you paying attention to this new open primary deal and this ranked choice? A little bit, but I'm no expert on it. It's, it's going to, I don't know, it's, we're coming Fre- up to- A legislative, Democratic legislative friend of mine 
told me after the election, you know, Mike, Jesus Christ couldn't have won in District 8 running as a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably not too far off. Well, and, and also your partner's, um, I think he was a partner at Coots, but Norm Rokeberg, right? He was, he, he was not a partner the, bir- the birdhouse. He was a partner in the birdhouse, yeah. So he was a leg- legislator later. He was. And he was the chairman of the rules committee for a while. Oh, yeah, he, he was, he was a. Uh, I think he ran against uh, Lisa McGuire for that Senate seat. She, she beat he? him. Yeah, I know she he, beat him he, back. He claimed he got beaten by a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, you've been in business for a long time, and and you've run for recent, more recently, legislature. But I guess what was it like back then with business and politics and how everything was going compared? To, I mean, now it's really messy. It's very polarized. But I mean, you know, Coots. I'm sure everybody was coming in there, and there was you were you were you were on the the. Um, council right you know for brief, briefly back in the in the early 70s i was uh, i got elected to the city council for a one-year term and then i got re-elected for a three-year term and i spent uh, i completed two years of the three-year term and then the city and the borough unified yeah that was after the yeah but i sat on both the city council and the borough assembly for that entire three-year period because there were Five pe- six people outside the borough, or I mean outside the city that represented the borough, and there were five people from within the city that were elected from the city council to sit mm-hmm. and represent the city on the borough assembly. So, so do you think if you were your age then doing all that stuff now today in Anchorage, could you have or would you have done all the stuff you wrote about in these two books? If I hadn't done, if I'm, I had, I'm saying if you were if you were your age, like then today, like right now, do you think you'd open Coots today? Do you think you'd do all this stuff you did? The, all these stories, all this. I mean, because a lot of the stuff is pretty wild back in the 70s and 80s. Oh, it's. I don't think it would be possible today. <laughs> you know, Alaska is a far different place than it was in yeah. 1970. Way, way different. I mean, this office we're in here. Um, my buddy bought both buildings. He's got the pawn shop next door and. You know, just kind of hearing some of the stuff to just do so, so, which should be a basic thing, you know, at landscaping or whatever it might be, or just some kind of permit or building. It just, you know. The bar has been raised. Oh, yeah. Way, way up there. You know, to start a small business today, just start a, a restaurant today. You know? The guy that opened up Altura Restaurant over there, you know, in the, that mall. By the brown jug. Closer to the mic. Yeah, yeah. It took him a year and a half to get open. Now, in, in your in your first book, you talked a little bit about some of the challenges of, I think there was one of the restaurants or bars you opened, and there was some inspector thing, and you had to, like, come in there real quick and change something, uh, maybe the tile, I don't know, the tiling or something. And But, you know, you, it, got, it got done. It was, it was. That's the reason why I ran for the city council at the time. I was so pissed off about it. Yeah. Um, some health inspector came in to Gordo's, which was a bar that I was about to open. It was a, a really nice bar on 15th, 15th and Gamble. It was um, Alaska's first disco. Um, and it was beautiful inside. It had beautiful tile uh, in the bathrooms, blue tile. But the tile didn't go up to the level that the Health inspector. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. That was like a... So we had to rip it all so out. So stupid. Oh, my God. So and, stupid. And, and add like three layers of tile up there. 
had to take off all the, the bullnose layer that was on top and then add, we couldn't get the same tile again that, that quickly because it was at the last minute. You know, we had like 24 hours to get it done in order to open when we were supposed mm-hmm. to open. Actually, we had to open because it, we had we had to get a 30, we had to operate for 30 days that year and we were out of time. Oh, yeah, the permit, the permit, right. And so we, we had to do this, you know, just as quickly as we could. And so we just went in and ripped out all the beautiful tile and put three layers of white tile up to the level that this jerk-off wanted it. And it really, really made me mad. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's... Not gotten, not gotten better. No, you know it's gotten worse. What, what was your of all the stories? And there's dozens of stories in here. What, 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 what was one of your favorite stories to write, or one of your um, most, I guess, memorable stories? I know there's a class ring you mentioned before we started. That was well. That's a story that people uh, mentioned to me a lot when when they read the book, or and it was published in the Anchorage Press, which, by the way, is publishing my stories again once a month. They just published a story of mine called uh, Augustus Chidley about when I ran over an old man in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, he survived. I survived. But it's, and it's, it's actually kind of a funny story. But, um, anyway, where were we? Uh, the class ring and oh, the class some, some ring. of the stories you've... Yeah, the class ring is, uh, is uh, one that I hear about a lot. I think mostly because people can identify with the description of the injury that I suffer in it and the precarious position that I'm in. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I would recommend that one. What 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 of all the stories you wrote? Which I mean, which which one was maybe the most memorable or the one that really st- sticks out to you? Or mm, she was. There's so many. Yeah, there are a lot of them. It's hard to it's hard to decide. The first story in the book is called Ruby Rogberg, and it's about Norm Rogberg's mother, uh-huh. um, who was my surrogate mother when I was growing up. Um, and she didn't she help you guys out with the business? No, the her, loan her, her husband did. Mel Rogberg. He's he's the one that loaned us right the eight thousand dollars myself and Norm and a fellow by the name of Johnny Textron. which was back then a lot of. A lot of, you know, quite a bit of, I mean, even now that's a lot of money, but yeah, back he, in the 70s. He, he loaned us $8,000 and we ended up buying the birdhouse bar with it. And this was, I think, you talked about the pipe, it was expensive. You thought, thought it was too expensive, but the pipeline was coming and it was like, we got to get in some business because. Well, that was the bird, that was Chogu Charlie's. Oh, I, so that wasn't the birdhouse. <clears throat> no, I don't, we'd already sold the birdhouse. I opened up Chogu Charlie's um, a year after we sold the birdhouse um, <coughs> and and it wasn't uh wasn't very long well between the birdhouse and choku charlie's there was a year and during that year uh was the auction uh, prudhoe bay auction and that changed everything for everybody and you, 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 it you was knew, pretty easy to see that that was going to happen you you knew that it was it was it was coming yeah boom oh yeah I think it seems like, for me, the theme in this book, the main book and this book, too, it's like, I mean, Coots was such a big part of your life back, I mean, for so many years. That was kind of your business, and, and that, that allowed you to do all these, you know, cool things like the climbing and then some of the other stuff you talk about, you know, kind of your your adventures or the it things was, you were... It was a wild ride. Yeah, 45 years. It wasn't always fun, but it was never boring. 
I just think about, you know, I moved here in 04, like I said earlier, and I was 20, I turned 21, I moved 19. So that was like, when I turned 21, that was just kind of the play, like we all we go to Coots. I mean, that was just the thing to do. And and I, I'm thinking of just all the years of all the people who had, even nowadays, if, if people come to Anchorage, it's kind of like on the list. Yeah. You know, tourists to, to go to Coots. And then some of the shows that you've had were there over the years. And yeah. obviously some of the, you know, the Mr. White Keys, that's, that's referenced yeah. in the, you know, I'm very proud of it. Um, I built it from from essentially nothing to arguably one of the best known bars in the world. It's great, and I, I like the you know the themes. I think over you grew that over time, but there's like the Russian you know mm-hmm. room, and then there's I like, my favorite one is the I guess it, is it the bird the one with all the panties and bras hanging up. That, that's the bird. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the that's the kind of kind that's of, an exact replica of the birdhouse that used to exist out on the Seward Highway, right down to the angle of the bar. And you used to... Uh, the only thing that's actually in it that was in the original birdhouse is the stove. Oh, wow. Because the rest of the building burned down. And you used to, back then, you used to go there, I think, on the weekends, right? You'd work the weekends? Because yeah. you had a day, a day job. Yeah. Insurance, I think. I would sell insurance for New York Life. So you'd go out there and work... You'd Friday night to Monday. I would, I would take over at 5 p.m. on Friday and and run the bar by myself until 5 a.m. Saturday. I would open up at noon on Saturday. I would run it until 5 a.m. on Sunday. I would open it at noon on Sunday, and then Norm would come down around 5 or 6 o'clock p.m. on Sunday and take over. And I would show up. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at New York Life with a suit on on Monday morning. Oh, wow, it's <laughs> nine o'clock Monday morning. This is like the kind of work ethic that I think today you don't get. You know, not a lot of people want to do that now. They want to. That's you know, what it takes it. to start a business. That's right. Yeah, it's it's. I've been doing this in the landmine business, and then I have this other newer one I started. It's like a political subscription newsletter, and then we have the studio. Up, you know, here in. I used to work for people and have, you know, I worked for IT, telecom, tech, GCI, and it's, uh, it's, it's nice to get the paycheck, you know, and it's like, you can rely, but it's, it's just, when you do it for yourself, everything you take in, it's stressful sometimes, there's a lot of, am I going to make it, but every, every dollar you take in, that's yours, the whole thing, I mean, after, you know, compared to when you're doing, when you sell something for somebody you're working for, you sell a big product, you get a little piece of that. Yeah. So there's different stresses, and I can't even imagine the bar business. I mean, I'm I'm just in my business. It's very few few of us, and but it seems like every time something comes up, I gotta hire a lawyer to do something. You know, it's not that five hundred buck, thousand bucks, or you gotta. Now I have a bookkeeper because I have all the. You know, I can't do that, and then I got an accountant. You know, so it's like oh, every time you get start feel like you're getting ahead, you get a bill in the, for a thousand dollars. Yeah, or it's something. U- it's usually from the insurance company. <laughs> I got yeah, no, I have, and I had to buy. If you, if you have any extra money, that's where it goes. I had to buy, you know, for this for this um, building we're in here for our, our downstairs and upstairs. We had to get uh, for the lease commercial liability. You know, I, I remember last year I was doing. I was like, oh, you know, things are going, you know, we're doing okay. And then I had, you know, it wasn't that much, but like again, it was another one of those things, a couple thousand dollars. Every time <laughs> something co- some bill comes in or some something comes up, where you have to, I can't even imagine the bar. I mean, just the amount of employees you had. You know, the, the liability of, I mean, some the fights and all, you know, who, whatever was drinking, obviously alcohol always increases liability. And it's a tough business. Just all of that. Yeah. What was your peak um, number of employees? 
the coots? Oh, I don't know exactly, about 150. Wow, was that, geez. Yeah, but that doesn't include the bands and the people that we would hire to do concerts and that sort of thing either. I've been to some. We, we did, you know, at our peak, we were doing six and a half million dollars a year. Wow. I remember being at a few concerts there, you, you know, in the past, in the parking lot there, they'd white, like, kind of like fence it off. And mm-hmm. I've been to, you know, a couple of those summertime, fun, really fun, huge, packed. Yeah. And then you go over to Coots and carry on. Have a drink. Yeah. Well, it's a great book, and I recommend it, especially if you're interested in Alaska history. There's so much Alaska history in the book. And then there's these kind of stories that really, you know, like you know, the Hog Brothers thing or about Ruben, you know, your buddy Ruben or just some of the other other history of Alaska, which which um, I like I like reading it and, and learning the ropes too, both books. But this is a different kind of more short stories, a lot of funny stories, a lot of Alaska history. So if folks want to get it, where can they, where can they, where can more, they? More actual Alaska history in this one. Yes, in the um, Dagnabbit, yeah. Yeah, they've got it at Costco. Um you should be able to get it at Barnes and Noble. They've got it at Walmart. Um, I have a website, MikeGordonAuthor.com, where you can order it directly from me, and I can personalize them if you wish. Okay, MikeGordonAuthor.com, right? Right, and you can also get them at Amazon.com. Well, it's a, it's a great book, and, and and Tidal Wave books too. If you want to go shop around, you can get one secondhand there too. Okay, well, I, I I've I've recommended um, this book and and. Other book, Learning the Ropes. Both books are really good. But um, I might. I oh, sure. Yeah. I'm working on a third one. Really? Yeah, it's called Naked Alaska. What's that about? Well, it's more stories like the ones in Dagnabbit. Um, uh, I think they're probably going to end up in general in more depth. Um, Similar kind of about your, your past and your experiences? Yeah, a lot of Alaska, Anchorage, primarily history. You know, what, what I've been saying to a lot of people I talk when I talk about um, these, these books and, and really kind of the first one is what a, what a great TV show that would be, mm-hmm. you know, coot, called Coots, just about that whole time in the, because there's so many stories that you tell in both books about what happened there and just the characters and the kind of how crazy it got sometimes, just, just the whole experience of that pipeline and, you know, this whole Hog Brothers. I mean, just all these people and characters, and I think it would be a great, I mean, they did that movie, um, Frozen and Frozen Ground several right. years ago, which was kind of about it was eighties, right? But I mean, they you know, they had that they had that they recreated that kind of time. Well, I went to dinner one time and a couple of years ago now with the, the fellow that wrote um, the script for uh, Boardwalk Empire. Oh yeah, great, great uh, uh, Steve Buscemi. Great show. Yeah, he also uh, wrote several of the. Segments for Sopranos. Another another good show. This he's, guy was this guy must have been HBO. He's guy. interested in doing a series about that whole Alaska era, and he went out to dinner with me, and we had a nice discussion. I, don't, I guess it's probably not going to go anyplace. Uh, I wasn't going to just give him my material. I would love to be part of it. He, if should, he, he, should, he should he should read the books. If I he mean. does move forward, well, he what interested him was the story and learning the ropes called. Uh, the hired gun. Uh, about is it about the bikers? Yeah, yeah. That's that 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 to me was I'm like imagining these guys kind of came to you and said, "Hey, you need to pay us to protect you yeah. from us." Exactly. And he's like hell's <laughs> angel. And then you had the 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 friend who was the cop and yeah and 
I just can't even imagine. I mean, how crazy it was. You hear these stories, and and then you had the other. You know, you had the the thing in. You tried the, you tried the thing in. Was it Fairbanks, right? Where they where they firebombed it. Uh, that was Gordo's here in Anchorage. Well, well, yeah. What was the bar they firebombed? That was Gordo's. Oh, God. <laughs> that was the one that we were talking about earlier, the, where the, the health guy gave me a problem. At, oh, the tiles, yeah. Opening it, yeah. But I also got burned down in Fairbanks. Because you start, you the tried, Chilkoot you, Charlie's you, you in Anchorage was burned down. It was arson. But you tried Chilkoot in Fairbanks, right? And and in Estra. And then didn't there wasn't it after something? I got burned down in 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 Fairbanks on First Street. I moved out to Estra. I should have just left town. And this wasn't like an accidental fire. This was no, probably, this was probably no, a no, hey. No. This is our this is our city. You don't do business up here. That's that was the message. Just just ins- just insane how. Yeah. And then there's the other one of the ones I tell people is in the, in the first book you um. There's the guy you hired to kind of guard the coots. He was on the roof with a gun, shotgun, you know, like a sawed-off or something, and people kept feeding him shots. Of tequila, yeah. And then he fell off the, he passed out and fell off the building. He, he walked right off the end of the building, God. fell in the dumpster, shotgun and all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, Good help's hard to find back then. I, I think, you know, it was probably in some ways cr- like crazier back then, but also I guess I want to ask you, you know, you've been around, you were in business, you know, back in the 70s here, and, 80s all throughout that time when it was, you know, by all accounts pretty crazy. But now you see this, you know, we have this homeless problem in Anchorage. And I know, I know you're here once a month, but you're out there and you're mostly out there in Halibut Cove, right? Yeah. But I guess for your, when you are here and you see all this and, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the problem, the assembly of the mayor can't fix going back a long time. And there's this really visible homeless problem. I mean, was it, was it similar then? I mean, is it worse now? It seems like since I've been here, it's worse. It was way different. I preferred it back then. How so? Why? Oh, you know, maybe it's partly because I was younger. I don't know, but it's just not the same. It was more fun. I um, I don't have to sleep with a pistol next to my bed right now, like, <laughs> I, like I did back then sometimes. But... Uh, <sighs> It was a it was a wild and woolly place. It was it was crazy, um, but the craziness today is is different. It's uh, kind of sad. I just you know a few months ago. It's a sad craziness. A few it's months. What we've done politically to ourselves, and what we've what the community's turned into. It's just. A few months ago, there was I was at my house. I was my, actually my neighbor where I live, and it was eleven o'clock. We were having a beer, and uh, we see we see a guy run through the two condo buildings. And I'm from I'm familiar with most of the kids in the neighborhood, you know. And I just seen a, a, a younger, you know, probably seventeen, running through in shorts and a you know, you know gray shirt. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and the, where he went was like there was a a concrete barrier and then a fence or perimeter fence for our associate HOA. So I'm thinking, where's he going? That's kind of a, there's nowhere to go. So I kind of look out the back window thinking maybe he went down the other way and he's like coming out of the back. I didn't see him. And I kind of said, that's, that was weird. And I forgot about it. And 15 minutes later, I see a bunch of pe- people in, in the main, it's kind of a, we live behind Eddie's, you know, Fairweather drive by Sylvan. So it's just condos and townhouses. So there's really, there's a road there, but it's not like a busy road. And I see a bunch of people, like figures walking a dog. And I'm like, why are they, it's like midnight at that point. I go, why are they walking a dog? I go out the window, the balcony, it's all these cops, like SWAT, helmets, machine guns, like full regalia. 
And I'm thinking, what the fuck? So I like said, hey, officer, what's going on? And he comes over and he's like, have you seen anybody going through the neighborhood? I go, matter of fact, I just saw a guy, I described him, go, you know, and he goes up on the, over the concrete barrier and they all come over and he's like, he like said something like, we got him. We like, like, like guys got him. I'm thinking, what the hell? So I go out after a few minutes and this kid had basically broken, broken the fence and he was, they found him in a dumpster. Now he wasn't the shooter, but his buddy, they were a taco. Maybe you heard about this a few month ago, month and a half ago. Some, this guy was out there with his, I think his wife and friend, and they were just fishing. And this two, these two kids came over, younger kids, and there was some skirmish. And he, one of the kids punched the guy, and his buddy and him went over to the parking lot to see what the hell was going on. And the guy pulled out a fucking pistol and shot him three times, executed him, killed the guy. Mm-hmm. And the guy that they found that ran through our, our association was the buddy. They later found the shooter. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just so crazy. Think about it. You're fishing at this lake, and then... You know, then you're fucking dead, and your wife's there, and your friend's there. Yeah, we've got uh, big city illness problems in Anchorage now. They've, I mean, there was crime back then it, for sure, but, but, but it, I know, but it's a, was you it, know the kind of stuff that you got in Chicago and New York and Baltimore. It's here. You know, it's we lived, we were separate from all that for a long time, but not anymore. And that's why, you know, I live, that's why I think a lot of people like living here because it, it's not that, but it, you're, it's, you know, it's turning into this kind of, you hear these stories about drive-by shootings and some kid, you know, a couple of years ago, some kid got shot yeah. in a house, stray bullet. Yeah. Back then there was still, I mean, obviously there was a lot of tough characters and there was crime, but was it more, it was more insulated like the, or was it more kind of within their own? <laughs> it was pe- more like the Wild West. So, so there's a level of respect, maybe that that isn't that isn't there today. Yeah, that's correct. And a, in a sense, more of a sense of community too, I think, and a sense of um, being an Alaskan. Yeah, it's so I, we're I, all in it together, you know, kind of thing. It doesn't exist anymore. You know, we, this whole thing with Sarah Palin comes up a lot when she was, you know, governor and she resigned, and people are talking about that, but. If you look at the the demographics and the transiency, um, I think it's like forty percent of people that are here now. It might be even higher than that. weren't here when she was governor. Mm-hmm. You know, people leave, and then we've seen the last I think several years we've seen an out migration of people, more people leaving than coming in. But but then a lot of people um, come in that are you know for whatever reason, and they come and go. Military. Oil and gas resource getting older, becoming snowbirds. That yes. So we just have this whole a very transient. We're one of the most transient states, mm-hmm. and it's hard to. It's kind of cyclical too, because it depends a lot on the economy, and the economy hasn't been worth a damn around here for quite a while now. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I I think I, I'm not super optimistic, but now with this I remember, thing, I remember Frank Murkowski talking about when he got elected to the governorship. When was that? Oh, so, um, he, he, oh, oh, two, 2002. Was, yeah, well, he was complaining about how we hadn't built a road in 20 years in Alaska. We still haven't built I can, one. I, I talk about that all the time. We I mean, still I, haven't I talk built about, one. I talk about the fact that we haven't built that bridge to, to Kinnick Arm, which we should have built 20 years ago. The the road in Juneau, which would have gone all the way up to near Haines, which would have taken pressure. That was approved and funded. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Walker killed that. I think a lot of people. About the in, one over by Eliamna, same thing. All the, I mean, all these roads, and not just roads, but like the pipeline that could have been built to Fairbanks, that could have been a state project, the Susitna Dam, um, you know, the Pika is, is an oil field on state land. 
It's we been there for 10 years. We they can't get anything done. Not, nothing, nothing. I mean, I was going to bring up, I'm not super optimistic, but now with this thing in Ukraine and, and, and you know, Russia and, and this gas issue, gas supply, maybe, uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm not super optimistic because it seems like every four years we have some new idea. But if this gas line could ever go, that would be the, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm probably your age now. How old were you when you were doing your 30s? I was uh, early 30s. Yeah. So I'm 37. So I mean, I'm kind of similar. If it could, if that could go, I may, you know, I, people, people my age, we could benefit from the boom that would yeah, come. Absolutely. I mean, think about what, what would that would do. I mean, the amount of money and jobs and the, be the be, economic it'd be a very big deal. I just, well, I just, there were people up here looking around from Blackstone recently. Wait, they've got a lot of money. We, 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 we We're talking. They manage trillions. Right, right. Yeah. We we have the resources here. Interested. We we, we have we have the we just can't. This state to me is even on this like, local level. I don't know if you're paying attention. This is a few months ago. There was this Inlet View Elementary. They were gonna they were gonna build the school on the same property next to the because the school is very very old. It's like it needs to be redone. So they were gonna build the school next to it, keep the kids in that school, and then a couple years later open the new school on the same property and then demolish the old school. Well, five neighbors freaked out. These NIMBY people, like, lost their shit. And they went to the some obscure board, uh, some weird city board about beautification. I don't even know, some Title 21. But, like, that or whether it's a resource development project or whether it's a road or whether it's some, you know, a small group of people with resources, money, access, political connections, right, they can stop this stuff. It's always a small groups. It's not the majority usually, you know, once in a while, maybe Pebble Mine, for example, very controversial. Okay, we can put that one aside. But the other, all this other stuff, it's not people screaming. It's a small, it's lawyers or connected people or people with, you know, money or, or understanding, you know, understand, understanding of the system can stop stuff. And we all suffer. Yeah, and it's not, that's not the only problem. The other problem is um, <sighs> oh, I lost my train of thought. Talk about building things and things not getting built yeah. or done. Well, yeah, the, the the other side of this, uh, or one of the one of the other issues with oil companies, for instance, is that you can go to Nigeria and get long term contracts. Yeah, you know, yeah, surefire deals that are contractual arrangement on costs and and profits and all that kind of stuff. You can go to Af- to. Azerbaijan get the same thing, but you can't get it in Alaska. The, the, you, the, you, you, because the legislature is going to come in and change the whole. Well, and and ball and, 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 and like Sarah Palin did when she came into office. And the the, the trade off, and if it's you Azerbaijan. can't you can't plan, you know, a decade ahead in Alaska. Well, no, we we change legislatures every couple of years and governors yeah. every four years, sometimes eight, but usually I mean, four. I mean, the, the trade off is for if you talk about Nigeria or Azerbaijan or Kazakhstan. I mean, the, 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 the problem there is political instabil- un- uncertainty. I mean, you can get, you know, nationalized. Or, or there's, like in Nigeria, <laughs> sure, there's... But there's plenty of that here, too. There's, ter- just, there's terrorists. different. Bl- well, there's terrorists blowing up the pipeline, or there's people getting kidnapped in some of these, pl- right, workers. So we should be... Nobody worries about the political, um, the actual, you know, physical. Nobody's going to blow up the pipeline. Nobody's going to take people hostage here. We have a very stable kind of political, in that sense, climate. But we don't have the other part where it's like, hey, we're going to make a deal... And we're, we're going to stick, stick to, to it. it. Yeah. Like, like um, my buddy. Which is worse. <laughs> I, I think they're equally bad. My buddy Eric used to work for, for a long time, BP, um, 
pretty high up and he was living in, he was working in Russia and the Soviet, you know, well, former Soviet Union, you know, Russia in the nineties. And he lived in Norway and, and he, um, he always told me how great Norway was. And I remember telling him one day, I said, well, at the time you heard a lot about kind of the high taxes and people, a lot of people will say, oh my God, it's too much tax. It's, and he goes, you know what? They, they are a little, he goes, yeah, they are a little higher, but he's like, let me tell you, I, we know exactly what we're getting. It's not going to change. They, he viewed the Norwegians as, cause they have the stat oil and they're kind of more of more of a sense of a partner. And he said, look, you know, it's, it's not so much the amount, you know, we obviously want to pay less, but, but if we can get a, if we can get a locked in deal where we know what it's going to be that means and, an and, awful we, lot. and we can predict that and we can rely on that, mm-hmm. you know, here it's like, it's, it changes all the time. Every, you know, there was all these different systems and then every, every legend, every year there's talk about this credits or these tax or these, or these per barrel credits or which, you know, if I'm the oil companies, I want to pay less. Sure. But I just don't feel like they think they're always having a good faith negotiation. Yeah. Because you're negotiating with the governor, but you're also negotiating with the legislature. Yeah. Well, this brings up a topic that we hadn't covered before, and that is that in Dagnabbit, there are uh, stories about several of my uh, international travels Mm -hmm. uh, to Russia, for instance. I was in Russia during uh, communist Russia, during the USSR. I was there during. Uh, the transitional period, Glasnost, Perestroika. Perestroika, yeah. And I was also there during the attempted coup against Gorbachev. Oh, yeah, we talked about that before, that thing. So, and, so there's when an they, interesting when they, when they, when they story. When they locked him there. up and when they... I also spent uh, five weeks uh, traveling uh, through the continent of India. I wrote uh, a story about that. Yep. And also uh, Venezuela. I was in Venezuela when, when Ortega took over, right at the beginning of it. So interesting international stories to read about in Dagnab, but also. Yeah, no, the, the, the Russia, I, I spent a lot of time in Russia, so that, that, those stories, I really enjoyed those, hearing about that time. And when you're, you, you hiked the Elbrus, which is there. It took me three times to climb Elbrus. I went over there in September uh, the first two times and got turned around by bad weather, especially the first time. And that's a big, I mean, that, that's, not a, that's not like a easy, easy Deal. That's a pretty. That's a very it's, tough, it's, tough, it's tough a peak. 20, it's a twenty thousand foot peak, nineteen something. Um, anyway, I went over in uh, August the third time, and it was shirt sleeve weather on the top. So oh wow! That's like once in a while I see I see people go up on Denali, and it happens. It happens where they're <laughs> like, "Hey, you know, it's, didn't happen for me." <laughs> I think that's the other kind of the, the really. Going back to the other book, you know, just in the climbing, the, the really kind of part that it's it's almost like um, the sad part maybe or, or, or the part you wish was different is you, you tried so many times to get to Everest. And that at that one time you were, I mean, how close were you, 27? 27,500 20, 27, feet. You were like, right, I mean, you could see it, right? Yeah, I was 50 years old at that time too. And that's just the one, you know, and, and I think it was, you talked about how. my third attempt. You talked about it was like you maybe could do it, but it was like the oxygen and the wet, all the factors and just wasn't, which probably you made the right decision. I mean, a lot of people don't, they make the other, they go the other way and they don't come down. Yeah, at least I'm still here. Yeah, it's just, I just, I, I just, I was like hoping there was going to be a chap, like bonus chapter, like I, I made it, you know. <laughs> but that's still, I mean, six of the seven and you almost got to them and you were, you could see the fucker. Yeah. You see, you see recently they've been covering a lot of, um, Everest on, on the, the amount of bodies and 
um, that are up there and, and oxygen trash and all this. There's a whole, have you, have you seen some of, some of this news coverage lately? That's, that's been coverage for years. Uh, yeah. yeah. They've really been, I mean, they're trying to kind of track, you know, crack down on it, but I don't, I mean, the picture they took a couple of years ago, a famous picture the guy took, you see that where there was like a line of people. He was right towards the, 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 the summit and he took a picture and there was a line of, I don't know, it was probably 150 people or maybe more. Oh, crossing the Lhotse face. It was, yeah, this yeah. famous, and it was like, kind of like, wow, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a line basically to get up <laughs> and 29,000 feet, 28,000 feet. Well, Mike, it's great talking to you. I always enjoy talking to you. Um, the book is Dag Nabbit, and it's a great collection of stories about your past and Alaska history and all these different cool things. And then there's also Learning the Ropes, which is the first one. And then the third one, when's, when's that going to, is that coming out? In 2023. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to be reading that, and I look forward to it. All right. Thanks again, Mike Gordon. It's, it's always good talking to you. Thank and, you, uh, If you want to get the book or, or uh, contact Mike, MikeGordonAuthor.com, right? Correct. Okay, well, thanks for uh, coming on, Mike. And, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and, and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.